All right, good evening. We're back, right? Yeah. All right. It's great to have you here, and we're going to have another awesome evening in the mind tonight, and we're glad you're a part of it. So good to have Seth back with us. He was, uh, yeah, yeah. Seth was feeling under the weather last week, but he is back tonight, and we are so glad to have Seth with us. And tonight also, we've got Brian Kaufman with us on the drums. Yeah. The, the drum. So, guys, are we ready to worship? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Lord God, uh, just thank you for tonight, and uh, just thank you for, and for your love, and, and just for what you're doing in this place. And these people have come together to, to learn more about you. God, I pray that you bless them, that you bless their hearts, and bless their families. And, you would uh, just give them what they're asking for, Lord, and uh, let them grow closer to you here in this place. And uh, we thank you so much for Jeff and for what uh, he means to all of us and for how much he does here and how hard he works to serve you, God. And I just pray that, that you would speak through him tonight and um, you would really work tonight in this, in this room and in this body, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Seth and Brian a hand. Wow, that was awesomeness, what that was. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. In fact, I'll tell you what, put your finger in Romans chapter 6 and and turn over to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to go to Romans 6 for just a second and then I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is telling us what a life defined by God looks like. And one of the things that we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks is that God gives us a power in our lives that's beyond ourselves. And through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the power of sin is broken and dethroned and God gives us a greater power So that anything that comes between us and God, with God's power and with God's help, can can be taken out of our lives so that God and and us can have this great fellowship. Not just a relationship, but fellowship. And I want to go back to a verse that I really didn't touch on last week, but I I wanted to begin with this week. And it's in verse 5 of Romans chapter 6. Where Paul says, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, in the verses right before that, he uses baptism as a great symbolism. As I shared, baptism is this great picture of the believer, in a sense, dying to their old self, being immersed in water, and then brought up out of the water, raised to a new life. All right? Which is really what he says at the end of verse 4. So too we may live a new life. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things will be passing away. All things will be starting to become new in my life. So God says, 
One of the things that's going to define our lives as His children is this new life and and this resurrection power that should be pulsating through my life. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20. He says, the kingdom of God is not about idle talk. It's about power. It's about power. And God is saying, show me a life that's connected to me and I'll show you a life where my power is pulsating through that life on a daily, maybe even hourly basis. Because we have available to us, this is the amazing thing, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to every child of God throughout the day, every day, every month, every year that we live on this earth. That's just amazing to me. And to show you that, go over to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 before we go back to Romans. And I think, I haven't quite landed there yet, but I think come January when we start a new book study, I think we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians. And I want to see this, show you this passage tonight just as a sort of a a preview, okay? First of all, I love the way Paul prays. I love the way Paul prays. And when Paul prays for other Christians, I mean, it's just amazing. It's a challenge to me. Because a lot of times, you know, I pray for those who don't know Christ to come to know Christ. I, I pray for, you know, physical needs and all that. But, but I, I don't yet have the depth of praying for other Christians the way Paul had it down. And notice beginning in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of Him. Hopefully that's one of the reasons why we all gather together at the mine every Tuesday night. That we want God to give us greater spiritual wisdom and revelation as we grow in our knowledge of Him. Since, verse 18, the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and then don't miss verse 19, and what is the incomparable greatness of His power toward us who believe, the same power displayed in the exercise of His immense strength, this power He exercised in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. It don't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. God is saying that this same resurrection power is available to believers all the time. But notice, Paul is praying to the Ephesians. He says, I have a feeling you guys in the Ephesus haven't wrapped your minds around this yet. You don't realize the power that it's available to you. You don't realize how great that power is. You don't realize what that power can do in your life on an everyday basis. And Paul says, Ephesian Christians, I want you to know that. I want you to live in His power. Never living in our own power. Never living in our own strength. But living in His power and strength every day, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I'll just tell you, every morning when I get up out of bed, He's raising me from the dead. It's just, I feel like He's got to have the resurrection power just to get me up out of bed. But we're not talking about just physical power, obviously. We're talking about spiritual power. We're talking about, again, a power 
to be able to say no to sin, no to temptation, yes to righteousness, and yes to God. So then if you go back to Romans chapter 6, I want to pick it up then where I left off last week. That's why in verse 11, Paul tells the Roman Christians, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin, past tense, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that word consider is a very important word. It's a mathematical word. It means to calculate. In other words, it means every day we have to consciously calculate and consider the power of God that's available to us. Because it's almost like, again, going back to that terrible illustration I ended with last week about putting it in cruise control. Uh, the woman from Oklahoma, you remember that. Um, how that, that sometimes as Christians we can just sort of put it in cruise control and go through a whole week and just sort of not consciously consider and calculate every day the power of God that is available to me and the fact that I am dead to sin. That sin no longer reigns in my life. That sin no longer dominates my life. It doesn't have to anymore. It has been dethroned and I'm now alive to God in Christ Jesus. I have to consciously remind myself of that, Paul says, all the time, or else I lose it. I forget it. it. It's not at the forefront of my focus in my mind. And the mindset that I start out every day with is huge. If I start out, as we said earlier in the study, defeated, if I come out of my bed and just go, well, I'm, I'm just going to fail today. I just know I am. That's the way it's always been then guess what? You and I set ourselves up for failure. But if we wake up every morning with the mindset that I am dead to sin and I am alive to God in Christ Jesus and that the power that I have today to face this day with, no matter what happens to me, is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, bring it on. Bring it on. Not that, again, it's not me. And, and who knows what circumstance I'm going to face, but there's nothing greater in this universe that I'm going to face that's greater than the power of God. He is almighty. He, he is, you know, he, he is it. All authority, all might. So, we go there. And then verse 12. Therefore, Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Well, the implication is that, guess what? Christians... Christians can allow sin to reign in their mortal body. We don't have to, but we can allow it to. Because we're not tapping into the power of God and, and we're focused more on, on the sin that's got a hold of us than we do the power that can overcome it. And so Paul says to these Christians, don't for one more day let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. A couple of things. First of all, Paul uses terminology saying that our body and, and all the parts of our body are basically instruments. Our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears... And all these parts of our body can be either put at God's disposal or they can be put at sin's disposal. And the key word in verses 12 and 13 is the word present that he uses a couple of times there. 
And what he is saying to us is this. Again, going back to how conscious we have to be. He says, this is not something that's passive. Where I just think that somehow because I'm a Christian, and I wake up today, that somehow I have presented my instruments, my hands, my feet, my, that I've presented them to God. No, Paul says, I have to consciously, actively present my members my parts of my body at God's disposal rather than at sin's disposal. And the more often we do that, the better off we will be. That we make a conscious choice, maybe even every day again, that we get up, not only to have that mindset that we should have, considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, but that every day we wake up and say, God, today these hands are Yours. These eyes are Yours. This tongue is yours. These feet are yours. I lay these instruments at your disposal. Use them however you will. And that's why Paul says we have to be very conscious and active as we present these instruments to God. Because the implication is this, as a Christian, I can present these instruments to sin. And in a sense, I can be, even as a Christian, I can be, in a sense, standing opposed to the work of God and to righteousness because I'm using my hands and my feet and all of these instruments of my body, I'm using them to sin and to oppose God rather than to be on the same page as God. Now, let me give you a biblical illustration of that. Keep your finger there in Romans chapter 6 and go back to the Gospel of Matthew. To Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Matthew 16, look at verse 21. About the last year of Jesus' three-year ministry, he kept preparing his disciples. Guys, I've got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to die. I've got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to die. Because the primary reason I came to earth was not to heal all these people and to teach and all that. The primary reason I came to earth was to go to that cross in Jerusalem and to die for the sins of the world. That's the primary reason I came. And, and that's been my focus. Now, God's had me do a lot of other things, but, but the primary focus of why I was here, why I was brought here, where I'm going is, His eyes were always on the cross. Alright? So, from that time on, Jesus began to show His disciples, Matthew 16, 21, that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, I love Peter. Peter took the Lord aside and began to rebuke him. Now, if we're all honest, we've, we've, been rebuked, we've rebuked God at times in our life. We were, we were upset with God. We didn't think God knew what He was doing. Here, here He is. Here's God saying, I've got to do this. And Peter's trying to talk the Lord out of it. God forbid, Lord, this must not happen to you. Now, notice Jesus' response. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. In other words, you're seeing things from your human perspective. You're not seeing things from God's perspective. If I don't go to the cross, Peter, your sins never get forgiven. I need to go to the cross. Now, here's, here's why I wanted to turn to that passage. 
for that moment in Peter's life, Peter was using the instrument of his tongue as a tool of Satan rather than a tool of God. And that's why Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because it wasn't God who was putting those words into, Satan's, or into Peter's mouth. It was Satan who was trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross and dying for sins. And it shows that even those who know God, if we're not careful, we can use our tongue in somehow thinking that we're, we're doing God's work. Well, God, I'm, I'm doing your work. I'm trying to prevent your son from going to the cross and dying. Isn't that a good thing? Not if we know the plan and purpose of God. No, we need him to go. We want him to go. We don't want to stand in the way and be an obstacle to Jesus Christ going to the cross. And so that's why Jesus told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. So again, it reminds us of the importance of what Paul says back in Romans chapter 6. Every day, we've got to live in the power of God and we've got to consciously present our members to God even maybe throughout the day. And even if we let something out of our mouth that shouldn't have flown out of our mouth, maybe at that point we've got to not only confess that, but we've got to sort of recommit our mouth to being an instrument of God rather than being an instrument to tear down and to do harm. And that's why Paul says it needs to be such a conscious thing. Because notice if you go back to Romans 6, verse 14, he says, For sin will have no mastery over you, because you're not under law, but under grace. And he goes back to that, grace is the power of God in our lives. And he's going to go down through again and talk about law because he doesn't want, to get, he doesn't want the Roman Christians to, to get the wrong idea about the law. There's nothing wrong with the law, but he's simply saying God never intended for the law to somehow empower us. All the law was given to do was to show us what was right and what was wrong. But there's no power in the law. The power comes from God's grace. The power comes from God's Spirit. The law is powerless to help us to live up to the law. It's just there to show us where we go wrong and where we can go right. That's why then he goes on to say in verse 15 and 16, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Again, as we said a couple weeks ago, a total misunderstanding of God's grace, if I have that kind of attitude. God's grace should motivate me to live a righteous life, a holy life, not to go out and live however I want to. So, do, not, do you not know that if you present yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that through you, though you were slaves, excuse me, to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to, and having been freed, again, past tense, from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Let me start there first. The reason why Paul says I'm speaking, you know, in, in human terms because of because slavery is not the best way to analyze this or symbolize this or illustrate this. It's the best that Paul in, in human terms could come up with. Okay? But when we think of slavery, we never get any kind of positive vibes from slavery. Alright? But, here's what Paul is saying though. The bottom line is this. The Bible clearly teaches in verse 16 and 17 of Romans 6 this principle. 
every human being is going to be a slave to something. That's what the Bible teaches. Every human being is going to be a slave to something. I'm either giving myself over to being a slave to sin, or I'm giving myself over to be a slave to God. Now again, why Paul says I speak in human terms is because we think about being a slave to God. That doesn't conjure up a lot of positive things. But Paul's going to try to put a positive spin on it in the sense that if I'm going to be a slave to anyone or anything, I'd rather, rather be a slave to righteousness in God than to be a slave to sin. And here's the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the deceitfulness of Satan. Because just like back in the Garden of Eden, Satan promised Adam and Eve freedom. Oh, if you eat of this tree, you're going to be free. Satan and sin always promises us freedom. And always it leads us into more bondage. It leads us into slavery. You see, there are people out there in the world that I don't want God. I don't need God. I'm my own person. I do my own thing. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. God says, no, you're not free. You are a slave to your lifestyle. You are a slave to the sin in your life. You're a slave to it. You're addicted to, to these things. They have you. You don't have it. You don't have control over it. It has control over you. You're just deceiving yourself, which is the worst kind of deception. And that's why Paul says, so instead of being a slave to sin, and because we're children of God, we don't have to be a slave to sin. That's why Paul says, why don't we, being freed from sin, allow ourselves to be, verse 18, enslaved to righteousness. Now, another thing here that's important. Notice that Paul says in verse 17 that one of the keys here is that the Roman Christians obeyed from the heart the teaching of God. And that's where it all starts. Again, going back to the importance of the heart. It's not ritual, ceremony, going through all the external motions. God looks at the heart. And God's Word is going to really begin to make a difference in my life when I allow it to penetrate my heart. And when from the heart... I obey. I obey. For notice, he goes on to say in verse 19, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. As I shared last week, here's one of the cool things. God says, yeah, if you begin to make a decision towards sin and, and you choose sin, then that could just lead to more sin. And then that's just going to lead you down more and more sin and further and further away from God. Okay, yeah, that's not good. But God says, but the reverse of all that can be true. If I start making right choices in my life and I start making good choices in my life, I can start leading myself down a path to further and further sanctification. Big theological word just basically means that Christ's life just becomes more manifest in my life. His imprint becomes my life, and I become more like Jesus Christ in the ways that I can as a human being become more like Him. How cool! So notice he goes on in verse 20 to say, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. That wasn't even a possibility. Because there was no capacity within you to be able to get you to that point. And then he goes on to say, And what benefit, verse 21, did you, when you uh, lived that way, in fact, you're probably ashamed of most of those things you did when you lived that way. And the end of those things is death. But I love verse 22. Once again, he's repeating exactly what he said in verse 18. But now freed from sin 
and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end is eternal life. Your life's going somewhere. And it's not going away from God. It's going to God. And as we've always said, eternal life is not a quantity of life, folks. It's a quality of life. It's life on a higher plane. It is the kind of life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10 when He says, I've come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. God wants you to experience all the fullness of a relationship with the God of the universe. And again, how can that be possible? Through a personal relationship with Christ. And then, after that decision is made, guess what we've got? We've got the resurrection power of God available to us within us through the indwelling Holy Spirit who can help us and aid us and equip us to do whatever we need to do to continue to make the right choices, go down the right path, and go further and further towards God. One of the cool things right here in this room, and then I'm going to stop for a few moments. Many of you, because you've shared your testimony, many of you with me, how, you know, maybe for years you had nothing to do with God. You You weren't interested in spiritual things. The Bible wasn't important to you. God wasn't important to you and all of that. But there came a point where you realized maybe what you were missing. And you came to know Jesus Christ. And now the more you're growing and understanding of the Bible and stuff, and it's like, wow. And and maybe, as a lot of you say, you know, maybe you, you think about, well, all those, you know, wasted, you know, years or whatever, and I try to get you not to go there. Because that's not, that's not where God wants us to go. But what I want you to see and what God wants you to see is look at where you were and now where you are. And now, even more exciting than that, look at where you are and where you could go. Look at the potential here. Look at how far you've come. And, and there is nothing holding you back from being all that God created you to be no matter what your past is. Because you've got the resurrection power of God available to you every day. And from here on out, your life can just... Unbelievable. It's, it's all there. And Peter's a great example of that. How God always sees our potential, not our past. When Peter met Jesus, his name was Simon. And he was a fisherman. And Jesus came along and said, You're Simon... But you're going to become Peter. Now, Peter had a long way to go, as we've even seen here tonight, you know, going around rebuking the Lord. Okay? <laughs> Not good, but... And, of course, we know he denied the Lord. And he had some... He certainly, you know, fell down. But he kept on going. And the Lord kept encouraging him. And even when he fell, the Lord said, just get back up and let's keep on going, Peter. Because it's not where you were, and it's not even where you are, it's what you're becoming. See, that's what Paul's trying to say here in this passage about either, verse uh, 19, either our lives are leading to more lawlessness, verse 19, or we're leading to sanctification. And that's part of what's defining our life. Part of what's defining our life is not where we were or who we were. It's not even where we are right now. Here's the thing that's defining our life right now. What do we want to become? What do we want to become? That's a, that's a defining part of our life. That's a defining moment of our life. Did you ever ask yourself that question? What do I want to become? 
And I'm not talking about like a little child where, you know, I want to be a, a fireman, Daddy, or, you know, I want to be a police officer. No, no, no. What do I want to become in Christ? Who do I want to become in Christ may even be the more correct question. That's what defines my life. Because that's then the focus of my life as I move forward from this point on in the power that God gives me. Because notice he closes out chapter 6 with these words, verse 23. For the payoff or wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's just reminding us, if I choose sin, there's a payday. There's wages. There's consequences. If I choose sin, there's a payout. Alright? And I may not like the payout, and it may be painful, but if I choose that, there are temporal consequences to my choice of that. But if I choose righteousness, and I choose the path that leads to sanctification, it's eternal life. It's this abundant, full life. The kind of life that Paul was praying for the Ephesians to try to wrap their minds around when he says, Man, guys, can you wrap your minds around the power that's available to you and the spiritual wisdom that's available to you and all of this that's available to you, the inheritance of the saints. Begin to wrap your mind around these truths and live out these truths every day. Be conscious of these truths every day. And you will truly experience eternal life as God wants you to experience it. Abundant life. Wow. That's what God wants. That's a life that will define us. Alright, before we jump into chapter 7 tonight, comments, questions, thoughts. Okay, you're taking it easy on me because it's my birthday. Alright, well, let me go to chapter 7. This will be real easy, okay? We're not going to spend a lot of time here. The first six verses. So, let me say this. Chapter 6, 7, and 8 are a trilogy, Okay? They all deal with one subject, and the subject is sanctification. It's the subject of, remember I said there's, we use the term in English salvation, but salvation has three parts for the Christian. In Romans, when he says we are declared righteous or use that theological term justified, that's the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior. When he uses the word sanctified, and most of what Romans is about is this part between the time I accept Christ and the time I meet Christ in heaven, that's not only being saved from the penalty of sin, which is what justification is all about, but sanctification is about learning to be freed from the power of sin in my life. And then glorification is that last component of salvation where I actually am freed from the very presence of sin. Don't even have to worry about it anymore when I get to heaven and I'm with Jesus. Now, in the midst of this then, he's talked in chapter 6 about we've been freed from sin. It doesn't have any power over us anymore. Then why do sometimes we continue to struggle? Why do some of us have such a struggle? One reason why, the first six verses of Romans 7, because we're trying to do it by the law. The law that cannot give us the power to do it, and yet we're trying to do it by the law rather than by the Spirit, rather than by grace. Notice, he uses the illustration of marriage here. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to the youth who know the law, that the law is lord over a person as long as he lives. Okay? But, 
you die, if I die, the laws don't have any, they don't have any power over us anymore. We're dead. So notice he uses this illustration. A married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released to remarry. Okay? So then, if she is joined to another man while her husband is alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she is joined to another man, she's not an adulteress because that law no longer has a power over her because her husband's dead. Here's the point Jesus is making, or Paul's making in, in verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you could be joined to another, to the one who was raised from the dead to bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful desires aroused by the law were active in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law because we've died to what controlled us so that we may serve in the new life of the spirit and not under the old written code. Simply, here's what Paul's saying in all of that. You have people today. I want to do good. I want to be godly. I want to do right. You know, all all that kind of terminology. And how do they try to do it? They try to do it by keeping the law. They try to do it by absorbing all these commandments and, and doing the yes commandments and staying away from the no commandments. Guess what Paul says? Everyone who lives that way is going to be frustrated to death and going to fall flat on their face. Because even though the law tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do, in trying to obey that law, there's no power in that law to help us to live up to that law. That's the problem. And so you have all these people all over the world who try to come to God and maybe even try to live for God by trying to observe the law, whatever that law is. For some people, it's the Ten Commandments. For some, it's the Sermon on the Mount. For It can be different things to different people, even in the Bible. The problem is this. God never created the law to empower us to live The eternal life. That's not the purpose of the law. So what mankind has done has taken this great thing that God gave us, the law. Again, Paul will tell us, the law is great. There's nothing wrong with the law. Okay? But man is trying to use it for a different purpose than for what God gave it to us for. And Paul says, guys, through Christ you've been freed from the law. Now, To be freed from the law doesn't, again, going back to what Paul said earlier, that doesn't mean we're lawless. That doesn't mean, I'm freed from the law, I can go out, I can murder, I can commit adultery, I can do it. No, 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 no. That's not what that means. In fact, again, the person who's going after God is going to want to obey the Word of God. But I don't look to the Word of God, okay, if you will, to that law and to trying to adhere to that law and obey that law as if that law is going to empower me to live up to the standard that it tells me is here. I have to look to now the Spirit of God who lives inside of me and to the grace of God that is available to me. That's what will help me to live up to the standards I find in the Word of God. So, notice in verse 7, What shall we then say? Is the law sin? In other words, 
Paul says, I, I can just anticipate. Some people are going to say, well, then the law is bad. No, 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 he says, don't go that far. Don't, don't go jumping off the deep end. Don't throw, as my parents used to say, the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I know I'm dating myself, okay? I grew up where there was black and white television, all right? I'm just going to, anyway. Um, I know, I know. Is the law sin? Yeah. Absolutely not, Paul says. Certainly. He says, I would not have known sin except through the law. So, you know, the cool thing about the law is I know where I go right and where I go wrong. For indeed, he says, I would not have known what it means to desire something belonging to someone else if the law had not said, do not covet. But notice, but sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of wrong desires. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Here's what Paul's simply saying. Man, left to themselves, is so corrupt from the inside out because of this old flesh that we have dwelling within us, that all God has to say is, don't do that. And my flesh goes, mm, don't do that? No, I think I will. That's why, you know, parents, I don't know why we get so... Uh, I know, that's a little creepy, wasn't it? I won't go into my Igor impression. I'll wait till Halloween to do that, okay? Um, the, you know, you, we have to be careful. It's like as parents, you know, you, you, you tell your child not to do something, and a lot of children are like, hmm... Maybe that's what I'll do. And, and God understands that. That's why we have to be empowered by the Spirit. Because if we're not under the control of the Spirit, all this stuff that's good in here can be turned out to actually be evil. Not that it's evil, but that the sin inside of me can take what God says to do or not to do and go, hmm, yeah. Yeah, and that's why we need the Spirit of God. You see, that's why I tell people, look, don't come to the mine or don't come to any Bible study if you're just coming to get more knowledge up here about the Bible, because all that ends up doing for most of us is we just become more intelligent sinners. <laughs> that's not the purpose of Bible study. The purpose of Bible study is exactly what we're learning in the book of Romans is not just to know what what the standard is, but to know how to live up to that standard. How to have the power to be able to do that. Not just to know it, as I've said to you before, there are a lot of people, man, they're, when it comes to their Bible knowledge, they know everything about the Bible. They know every beast in Revelation and they act like it too. And, and it's not just, oh, I know about the Bible, but it doesn't change the way I live my life. It doesn't change my attitude. It doesn't change the way I talk to people. It doesn't change the way I treat people. Yeah, it should. As I say all the time, the Bible is not for information. It's for transformation. It's to make me more like Jesus Christ and to send me on that path towards righteousness and becoming more of what God said. So that's where I need the Spirit to control me because i got to be very careful. Let me just use this latest series as an example. I never even shared this with the staff, but one of the things that I was concerned about, okay, 
knowing these kind of verses in the Bible is, it's great that we're doing this bringing sexy back series and that we're touching on a lot of these things that need to be touched on. But let's also not kid ourselves into thinking that, again, if people who are listening to this and our motivation is to do it right, to say it right, to lead people to righteousness and whatever... But let's make no mistake about it. If somebody's heart's not sitting right and not being empowered by the Spirit, they can take what they're hearing and even though we're presenting it in a good way, guess what they can do? They can twist it and they can go out and go, man, there's been a lot of talk about sex and sex. And and it begins to... And again, if we're not careful, that sin nature inside of me can get stirred up by even the good things that I... That's exactly what Paul's saying here. See, that's why we have to be careful. And that's why I always encourage people, when you study the Bible on your own, and when you study it in in, in a group like this, and you go to a Bible study, let's make sure our hearts are prepared. And let's make sure that we're allowing the Spirit of God to control us and wrap around our hearts, or else we can take even the good that's said and somehow warp it and twist it and, and end up going the wrong way. Going the wrong way. Notice in verse 9, And I was once alive apart from the law, but with the coming of the commandment, sin became alive. And I died. So I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life brought death. For notice verse 11, Sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it I died. Wow. Wow. That's why our lives need to be defined by the power of God and by the Spirit of God. Because even that which is good that God gave can be twisted. Like His good laws and commandments can be used by our sinful nature to actually arouse within us the very opposite of what should be there. And that goes to show us really, apart from God's Spirit and God's power, just how corrupt that old nature, that sinful nature can be. Again, though, the cool thing, guys, I hope you leave with this, not discouraged, but encouraged, because remember what we learned back in chapter 6, and that's why Paul put chapter 6 ahead of chapter 7. We were dead to sin. We have been freed from sin. So even though I'm talking about some hard things here in chapter 7 and about how that old sin can rear its ugly head and even take that which God meant for good and twist it, but, but we can overcome it. There's nothing we're talking about here to where we should be discouraged because we have a greater power in us than the power that's working in us already that's through our flesh. So then verse 12, if, if there's any doubt of where Paul lands on how the law is, he says, verse 12, So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Don't make any mistake about it. Paul says, I'm not bashing the law or the Word of God at all. I'm just putting a spotlight on that old nature that can even take that which God meant for good and somehow warp it and twist it. Now, beginning in verse 13, through the rest of chapter 7, a passage that I think is one of the most misunderstood passages in all the Bible, is where Paul begins to talk about this struggle that he has. And how, you know, well, you know what, we'll read it here in just a moment. But here's the point I want to make before we start reading this. We saw how the law could not empower us to live this kind of life that God wants to define our lives. And he says, and neither can we 
empower ourselves to live this way. Because the one thing you're going to see as we read down through this passage, and why Paul was living a defeated life at this point, and using this part of his life as an example, was again, just like many of us, Some of us are trying to do it through the law, and the law can't give us the power. And some of us are trying to do it on our own. Some of it, it's all about, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it one more try. And we've always said, it's not in trying, it's in what? Oh, thank you. You listened. You listened. So notice. Notice how many times when we go down through here, the word I... Personal pronoun, I, is used. And what Paul wants to emphasize by using the word I so many times is when I try to do it, I'm going to fail every time. Did that which is good then, verse 13, become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, so that it would be shown to be sin, produced death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold into slavery to sin. For I don't understand what I am doing. For I do not do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I do what I don't want, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For I want to do the good. But don't miss this last phrase. What? I cannot do it. Now before we move on, that's where we need to stop for a moment. That's the key to Romans 7. All Paul is pointing out here is, the reason I was so frustrated, and I was so struggling in my Christian life, is because, okay, I got past the fact that I was trying to empower myself through the law, and through living up to the law, because the law couldn't give me that power. But then, guess what? Then I did the next worst thing. Then I tried to live up to this eternal life and to experience God's life by me trying to do it in my own power. By somehow trying to look inside myself and find some kind of power inside myself to help me live up to that standard. And Paul says, guess what I'm finding out? I cannot do it. Keep your finger there. Go over to the book of Galatians, through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and go to the book of Galatians to another great verse that really supports this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. 3, 3. And guys, I don't know about you, but like the first couple times I read and studied this verse, boy, it just hit me between the eyes. Because as a Christian who had been a Christian for a while, I was like, wow, you know what? I end up going back and doing the same thing. Notice what Paul said to the Galatian Christians. Because this is a common problem, okay? This is, we, we all struggle here every once in a while. Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Although you began with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? In other words, it's like a lot of us as Christians. Okay, we come to Christ and it's all about coming... By the Spirit and knowing that the only way I come to God is it's a spiritual work. So I I let God do His work when I come to Christ. And maybe the first couple of weeks, months, maybe even years I'm a Christian, I depend upon the Spirit. Man, I I do the work of God, but I do it by the power of the Spirit because I'm not looking to myself at all. But it's almost like after a while, after I've been a Christian for a while, like these Galatians, 
I start doing things in my own human ability, in my human effort, and I don't rely on the Spirit as much as I used to. And Paul says, is that even logical? You know, I started out knowing I needed the Spirit to even have a relationship with God, that I needed the Spirit to live the kind of life that God wanted me to live, but somewhere along the line, I forgot to depend upon the Spirit, and I started to depend upon my human effort to do it. In fact, here's a very convicting question. And I'm not just directing this question to this church here at Cornerstone. I'm directing this question to the large body of believers all over the world. Think about this. Nobody has to answer this, but think about this. Meditate on this. How much of what we call Christian ministry is truly done by the power of the Spirit or by our own ability, intellect, wisdom, and human effort. And could we really tell the difference, at least externally? Hmm. And let me, let me go a step further. Let me tell you where I'm going with that. In the book of Revelation, where Jesus talks to the church, In Revelation 3, he talks to a church at Sardis. And here's what he says. Very sobering. He says, you have a reputation amongst men that you are alive. That you're a happening church. You know what Jesus says? From my perspective, you're dead. Wow. Wow. I don't know about you, but I think that's something we all need to consider. You know, what's God think? Not necessarily what people think. And are we judging things just by externals? Are we truly judging things by what really matters to God? And are we doing things truly by the power of the Spirit, and it's only being accomplished by spiritual power? Or is what we're accomplishing as individuals and as a church and as churches all over this world, is it mostly because we're just good at what we do and we're talented and, and, and we're using our own wisdom and our own power and our own intellect? What is it? And Paul says, we're foolish if we start off this Christian life totally relying on the Spirit, but somehow we get to a point in our life where we start to try to live the life by our own human effort. Back to Romans. That's why then Paul goes on in verse 19 to say, I do not do the good I want, but I do the very evil I do not want. Now, if I do it what I do not want, it is no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. Now, he's not passing, he's just saying, man, this, This is tough. It's always there. So notice he says in verse 21, So I find the law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. That will always be the case. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see a different law in my members, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that is in my members. And he gets to the point that every Christian who's ever tried to live up to the life of God gets absolute frustration and just, ah, so frustrating. And that's why Paul cries out 
in verse 24. Wretched man that I am! Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? That's when he said, Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not through me, Paul said. I can be delivered. I have a power greater than this this nature that struggles against my spiritual want. And God, through Christ, can empower me to overcome that power. Because as Paul's already laid down in chapter 6, I've been freed from that. That has no mastery over me anymore. I'm not a slave to those things anymore. There is now a greater principle and a greater power in my life through Jesus Christ. And I don't have to do it on my own. And I don't have to try to look to the law to do it because there's no power there anyway. I look within to the Spirit of God and to the grace of God to empower me to be what God wants me to be, what God desires me to be, what God dreams of me to be, and what I hopefully want to become as I look forward to the potential and to the progress that I can make in God. And that's why Paul then closes verse or chapter 7 with, So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Because it's all about I. I. But in the midst of all the eyes of chapter 7, there's verse 24, or 25, excuse me, which is really the key that sets up then where we're going to go next week. Oh my goodness, I hope you'll come back next week. Because next week is Romans chapter 8. Hebrews is my favorite book of the Bible. Romans chapter 8 is my favorite chapter of the Bible. It is the chapter. And in fact, even in the study of Romans, Romans 8 is in the middle, it is the pinnacle, as far as I'm concerned, of of the book of Romans. Because what Romans chapter 8 is going to tell us all about next week is, What then does this life empowered by the Spirit of God look like? How do we do that? All of that that good stuff. All that great encouragement is coming next week in Romans chapter 8 as we get into that next week. Comments, questions, thoughts? No, I think I'm just saying that there is a difference between being spiritually empowered to do something and being humanly empowered to do something. And I can't judge that. But I think we do, as the church or as Christians, have to be very careful that we don't use external, uh, external things as the way we judge whether something is spiritually empowered or not. We have to be very careful about that. Um, for instance, okay, um, there was a great man of God named Noah. The Bible says was a man of God and walked with God and was a preacher. He never got one person to enter that ark with him. In our world today, in most Christian circles today, you know what Noah would be called? He'd be called a failure. Because he didn't get one person to follow him into that ark, except his family, except those other eight people. So I think, again, God doesn't... What God rewarded Noah for was his faithfulness to what God called him to. He didn't reward him based upon the response or lack of response of people. That's not my job. 
That's again why I can get up and be very freeing in teaching the Word of God. Because all God holds me responsible for as a teacher of the Word of God is to be faithful to Him and faithful to His Word. He never holds me responsible for the response or lack of response of people. That's between them and God. So I think, again, we need to be careful of what, what measurements we're using to say, oh, this, this must be of God. Are we sure about that? I'm, I'm, I'm only just saying, let's step back and let's just re-examine some things here because, again, I think the Bible is very clear that there's, there are some differences there. We just have to be... But I'm not questioning anybody's motives. Okay. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Yes. Guys, you are wonderful. Let's close in prayer. I hope tonight, as each Tuesday is an encouragement for you, I know that tonight was not necessarily maybe the most uplifting. We talked about some tough things and some struggles. But I hope you leave here knowing that you have the resurrection power of Christ available to you tonight, tomorrow, throughout this next week. And that anything in our lives can be overcome by the power that God gives us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, You are good and You are great. And we thank You, Lord, for just how awesome You are. And Lord, we come humbly before You tonight just thanking You for the opportunity we have to open up this book called the Bible and to sink our our teeth into it. And God, we have just wanted to share Your mind and heart with these precious folks here again tonight. And, And we just pray that God, You would just help us to look to You for the power, the strength, the wisdom, everything that we need. Help us not to do it in our own human effort. Help us to do it, Lord, in Your power and in Your strength. As was said in the book of Acts, if something is of God, then no human will ever be able to to fight against it. And if it's not of God, let it go. It will die on its own. And God, we pray that we will be involved in that which is truly Your work in our lives. And that, Lord, what we're doing, we do for eternity and we do for Your glory. And so, God, go with us tonight. And I pray that each one of these people, as they leave this room, would truly feel empowered and strengthened, Lord, through Your Spirit and by Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, you're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.